and we're back at it. I'm Gurv Yerbra. I'm here with Chamal Karsandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into this week's WandaVision, Deadpool, and other Hollywood what-ifs, and other major news items of the week. Folks, it's showtime. We now have first-person intel from inside the Westview anomaly. What are we looking at here? Is it an alternate reality, time travel? sitcom starring two Avengers it's a working theory first things first we're talking episode four of WandaVision titled we interrupt this program but if you want to skip around to the new segment or to our recommendation segment let's get wrecked we got timestamps in the description now Chumwith can you hit us with that recap I certainly can so this week Captain Monica Rambeau an agent of sword returns to life following the blip to find her mother Maria has died of cancer. Fast forward three weeks later, Monica returns to work and is sent by acting director Tyler Hayward to help FBI agent Jimmy Woo with a missing persons case in Westview, New Jersey. They discover a hexagonal static CMBR field surrounding this town, which Monica is pulled into. Within 24 hours, S.W.O.R.D. establishes a base around the town and sends in drones and also an agent to investigate. Out of the blue, we have a truck full of scientists. Amongst them is Dr. Darcy Lewis, who is asked to study the phenomena and discovers broadcast signals for a sitcom called WandaVision. They use these to observe events inside the town. They learn that the real residents have been cast as characters in this sitcom, and they end up seeing Monica disguise herself as Geraldine. Darcy and Jimmy unsuccessfully attempt to use the radio to contact Wanda, and then when Monica mentions Ultron, Wanda casts her out of the town. The sitcom illusion disappears and Wanda sees a vision appear as he did when he died. Horrified, she restores the illusion. And that is when this episode ends. So essentially what we got here is a recap of episodes one, two, and three, but from the perspective of both Monica Rambo and Sword and essentially the real world dealing with the situation. Incredible stuff. 100%. As Jim Ross would say, business just picked up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, we're going to talk about this in detail, but what did you think of the show? Oh, I loved it. It was just like everything that we've been looking forward to in terms of, all right, we get it. We're in the sitcom. It's an illusion. We, We don't have all of the answers. In this episode, we now have some answers. Mm -hmm. We also have a lot more questions, but we're now starting to really get into the meat and bones of where we're heading, both not just with WandaVision, but like we've talked about before, WandaVision is part of phase four. And now we're seeing, you know, characters that, you know, we've kind of seen here and there in other movies in the MCU, for example, we saw Monica Rambeau in Captain Marvel, but as a, as a young girl, all right? So now we, we've got her all grown up. We've got Darcy Lewis from the Thor movies. We've got Jimmy Woo from the Ant-Man movies. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great collective of all these kind of, I guess, side or smaller characters all coming to the fore right now. Yeah, that's actually the great thing. I was going to talk about that for Marvel in general. It's just they can introduce and reintroduce characters and you don't even question it. Yeah. Like they've done such a good job that no matter what, you just go with it. Like, all right, cool. Is we have a sitcom format where you don't tell us what's going on for three weeks? Cool, let's go. It's going to be, uh, you just want to take different characters from different movies and they're just going to put them all together and we're not going to question it at all. Let's fucking go. Yeah. It's just like that's how much faith we have in this. And major props to the showrunners of this show because putting this together is no easy feat. Like they had to do some crazy stuff to keep us in the dark for the first three episodes. Yep. And then now essentially reveal all this stuff in the fourth episode. 
but still keep us in the dark going forward. Yeah. Uh, it's such a tremendous feat for them. Absolutely. And the one thing that we spoke about last week was how episodes one, two, and three, because we're in the world of a sitcom, production value in terms of how, I guess, how uh, cost effective it was to kind of make that kind of programming in the sitcom you know, side of things. Yeah. Now, in episode four, this looked like it could have been a 20-minute scene from a legit Marvel movie. Yeah. The production value matched everything we've seen in the MCU, in the theater. You watch, I mean, I just re-watched this past weekend, Endgame and Infinity War on Disney+. Plus. This episode matched that like for like in terms of production value, and I really, really enjoyed that. I 100% agree. It, it shows the the versatility of what Marvel's really capable of. Not only what they're capable of, but also what they're willing to experiment with. Yeah. Because they went out of their way to create those sitcom sets yep. and make them authentic. Yep. At no point did we feel like that was you know a modern version of whatever. This was uh, them trying to be as authentic as possible with those old school shots, and then now basically taking it to the complete next level, which makes you appreciate the journey we've gone on so much more. Uh, this is also the first time we saw the real effects of the snap and not just the comedy stuff from Spider-Man. So I just think there's just so many amazing things that kind of went into this. And also one thing I did want to talk about that I absolutely loved from this show was like, the jury's still out on Wanda, whether she's good or bad, but I felt so much for Wanda in this episode. And I, I understand she might be evil. We don't know, like what's going on there but the depths of her go like just going so deep as to create an alternate reality right. now just feels like there's so much more weight behind it yeah like i don't know i absolutely loved wanda's performance in this yeah. i think she just knocked it out of the park in this episode um but yeah so at this point we've reached a certain level of expectation there's so many reveals that just came out of it what how did this compare compared to what you were thinking going into it well, clearly, it, it appears from what we saw in this episode, Wanda is doing all of this. She's yeah. created this hexagonal, I guess, space. She's controlling everything inside that space, which basically means that all these everyday people that were kind of living their lives before are, are all under her control. We saw an image which was like quite startling and quite shocking because it does just last for a couple of seconds, but Vision, dead, yeah. was like, whoa. And then Wanda kind of fixes that to kind of bring him back to, you know, what we, you know, have typically seen him as. So it, it looks like he's still dead. That's kind of one of the unanswered questions. Like, is he technically still dead? And is she just, is is this version of Vision in WandaVision just a figment of her imagination and something that she's creating? Yeah. That's something I don't really have a full kind of grasp on right now. But yeah, I agree with you with regards to, to Wanda um, and just her saying things like she has everything under control how serious she got using her powers like we're see we're starting to see just how powerful she is and look we got introduced to her as a heel she then turned face yeah is this now once again her going heel again yeah it, it yeah. looks like it yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and, and like yeah the cool thing like you said they they basically did confirm a lot of the theories that they gave us that was a really cool thing because they had the little whiteboard with Jimmy Woo basically going through everything that we've been speculating for the past three weeks. Yep. And now it just kind of, they gave us this direction. And it's almost like uh, the fact that it was kind of pr predictable, right? It just kind of made me feel like, okay, cool. We're on the right path. Right. Like this is like, sometimes predictability isn't bad, right? And especially with a show where it's so out there, it's nice to see that it's still logical and well executed, which obviously WandaVision is. Uh, in terms of expectation, one thing that didn't click in my mind was that Geraldine 
was Monica Rambeau until this episode. Right. It didn't click for me at all for that in the past. Like, I, I don't know why I didn't look at the uh, credits for IMDb or whatever. I just didn't notice it. But seeing that was really cool. The, the coolest thing about that is that we don't even know that much about Monica Rambeau. But in the comics, she actually is a superhero. She was actually the original Captain Marvel as far as women go. Yeah. And uh, she ends up being uh, a different kind of character. She might be Spectre. She might be Photon. We're going to see. We'll see where that's going to go. My theory is that since we're doing a reverse House of M, it feels like this is where they're going to introduce mutants. And also this is where they're going to introduce Monica Rambeau having some powers. Right. And speaking of theories... Now we're at a whole different level. Did you have any theories now going forward? So I was a little aware of Monica Rambeau and her background as being Captain Marvel from the comic books, but that's purely from me just doing a few Google searches. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think the big theory going around right now, which I pretty much co-sign, is the fact that her going into this kind of, you know, alternate reality of Westview and Wanda essentially throwing her out with her powers, is that what gives her her powers as Photon or Spectrum or Captain Marvel, etc. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. But then when I rewatched the episode, the conversation that she essentially has with her, I guess, now new boss, Tyler Hayward, who's a director of S.W.O.R.D., he says that we have to ground you. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, she says, when they talk about drones, drones used to follow me. So I'm not sure what that's, I guess, um, referring to. Is that referring to her being a pilot? Is that already a reference to her having powers, but we just haven't seen them mm. yet? When when he says we have to ground you, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I think most likely it is talking about her being an actual pilot. Yeah. Uh, and but who knows, right? Because we just don't know the background right now. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, her conversation with the sword agent over there, one thing I noticed that he said is where he's talking about how there used to be an astronaut program, and basically people got grounded and stuck on Earth. I can think of four people that used to be astronauts who got their powers <laughs> and ended up being grounded on Earth. Is this the first mention of the Fantastic Four? Very. I mean, we could speculate a lot right now with yeah. regards to the Fantastic Four, with regards to X-Men, mm -hmm. with regards to other characters like Monica Rambeau, being Photon Spectrum. But yeah, I think and I've, you theorized this uh, a week or two ago where it looks like we could be going in the direction of WandaVision being the epicenter of what creates mutants in this yeah. new world. I mean, uh, I'm still curious to see, because the cool thing about this, I still have theories where we're in the middle of like this the whole show, right? We're at episode four. At this point, it doesn't feel like the reveals are the finality of what's going to happen. Like we still, I still feel like Agnes is going to play a big part right. in what's going forward and who's actually controlling this. Uh, Ralph is somebody they've already introduced, but they haven't. They've introduced through, like, vocally, yep. who we have never seen before. I still feel like they're going to play some sort of part of manipulating Wanda. But my final theory about this whole WandaVision show is that it, it follows the five stages of grief. Mm. All right? And so far, we've dealt with denial, where she created this reality. No. Anger, where she basically booted Monica Rambeau. Right now, you are trespassing here. And I want you to The next steps are bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So I'm guessing, uh, first off, we've seen in the previews where, you know, she's kind of disheveled, sitting in that 2000s kind of, like, look where it's like she's in the office or modern, modern family. Right. Feels like she's a little depressive over there. Right. 
I see. I think the next thing we're gonna see is Wanda kind of bargaining. I could imagine Wanda kind of realizing that people know about her show at this point, and she basically pleads with them, like, leave my reality alone. Right. Right. That's gonna be the bargaining phase. That's just my little storytelling theory of it going forward. I think that's where we're gonna go. What are you hoping to see going forward, though? I just hope that moving forward, we now start to see a balance of both the 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 sitcom reality and the real world. Because so far, we obviously got the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the WandaVision show. Episode 4, we got the real world, and they kind of caught us up. Now, I would love for us to go back and forth in each episode. Like, if the next episode is just flat-out WandaVision set in the 80s, mm-hmm. fine. But I, I want to see them both be parallel, because I want to see how the real world reacts to what's going on in the sitcom like for like now. Um, so that's kind of my major request moving forward. Hopefully I that think happens. they have to intertwine everything now. Yeah. The way they've introduced the story, like it feels like they have to do that. And that's what it feels like, like that, going back to the bargaining thing I just said, that's where I feel like we're going to get the idea of her talking to the camera. She's talking to the audience that she's now aware exists in her reality. Right. Um, but yeah, like you kind of mentioned this before. She said, uh, I have everything under control. Yep. And also they said, it's all Wanda. These two quotes from the fourth episode of a nine episode arc like i said it shows that these aren't the final reveals and i don't know if it's just pro wrestling but i feel like i know there's a twist still coming a swerve right the swerve is on the way uh did you notice any flaws gaps anything funny that really stood out to you no this was a pretty i mean i'll tell you what something about something that was really funny to me was just the chemistry between darcy and jimmy woo i really enjoyed their performances i really enjoyed jimmy woo and that man i really enjoyed darcy in the thor movies and together they i think they brought um, a, a great moment of lightheartedness in in what was a very you know, serious and, and heavy episode. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the last thing I did want to give a quick shout out to them using Hollywood Hulk Hogan's theme song with uh, Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Right, I thought yeah, that was an incredible yeah. ending segment. Uh, having it's number one, it just makes so much sense to like you know lyrically of where that is. Yep. But also like just for us, like it's just so cool to have like whenever that song plays, yep. I get excited as like a '90s kid. Yep. With Hulk Hogan. And I think uh, it fits into the whole 70s era because I think that's a song from the 70s, correct? Yeah, yeah, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah yeah, 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 absolutely. Even on a side note, I remember one time we were going to climb Mount Fuji when we went to Japan. Right. My goal going up to Mount Fuji was once we get up there, I'm going to record a video of me saying, and I stand up next to a mountain and I chop it down <laughs> with the edge of my hand. Like just like Hogan used to do, right? Right, right, right. And then once we got up there, I was so exhausted, I never ended up doing oh, it. Oh my God. And I can't fucking climb that thing again. <laughs> it's over. It's over. I can't get that. One so if done. anybody does it, do it for me. Yep. What? What is it? What's wrong? You mentioned this before about how there's so many unanswered questions going forward. What are some of your unanswered questions that you've thought of so far? I think the one of the biggest ones is, is Vision mm. Dead or Alive? Number two, is this an alternate reality? Is this like kind of playing into that kind of multiverse of madness um, element? you know how much time has passed in westview versus the real world has this whole situation where wonder has created this alternate alternate reality been years for her mm-hmm. where it's been perhaps like days and weeks for people in in the real world 
has Monica Rambeau got her powers? Yeah. I guess those are the kind of, you know, uh, uh, and the biggest one is, has the effects of what WandaVision done actually created mutants? Is, is what, is because of what she's done, created the Fantastic Four and the X-Men? I guess those are the three or four biggest questions on top of my mind. Yeah, you know what's funny? Before we got this reveal, and like before you see that, basically like the dead vision at the end of this, yeah. a part of me is starting to think like, okay, is this something where she just picked up a vision from a different reality? And then brought him here. Interesting. But like with this, I don't see that happening anymore because we've seen the dead dude. Right. Um, but you know what? One question I had that was unanswered. I don't know if we're ever going to get this answer. But what if somebody got snapped while being in a precarious position? Right. And then they got brought back. Right. Like imagine if you're flying, if yep. you were driving, if you were bungee jumping. Yep. Like uh, did you just fall to your death? Yeah. I saw that theory go on, going online as well. Because yeah. if you're on a plane, do you just get transported like thousands of feet in the sky? Yeah. There's no plane there anymore. Yeah. You're basically just back and you just plunge to your death. Yeah. Like, I, I I imagine that's what happens. I wonder if they explore that or kind of try to answer that in some way. I think that would be a really cool thing to kind of explore, especially with, like, a superhero yeah. trying to save all those people from a plane or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be really cool. Uh, also, the other questions I still have, they keep mentioning Hydra. That's like a little tree branch that they're just kind of leaving out there and they still haven't answered. I still want to know who that is. I still want to know... Who Agnes and Ralph are. Yep. Uh, why aren't there other Avengers as a part of this? Like, you know, why aren't they have been brought in five years later to kind of deal with this situation? Uh, who is the best character in this episode? Okay, so for me, I already mentioned them, and it's a tie. I really like Jimmy Woo and Darcy. For me, those two characters, bringing them back, made me smile. I'm really happy to see them back in a, in a big way yeah. in Phase 4. And the chemistry between them, I really enjoyed. I want to see more of that develop as the show goes on. I completely agree that they were, they added so much to the show. Yep. Darcy and Agent Wu, fantastic. But I got to give it to Elizabeth Olsen with uh, Wanda because she just killed it in that last scene. Like the yep. emotion that I felt in that last scene was the, the range from anger to sadness, all that kind of stuff. It just made me buy into that Wanda character so much more than I ever have. What was the best scene? This, this, this one's a bit of a toss-up for me as well, so I'm just going to say them both. For me, it's a toss-up between the opening scene where everyone's returning from the blip. That's, mm. That kind of stuff still blows my mind. Yeah. Like, first of all, from just aesthetically, the special effects were just, like, fantastic. And just seeing that happen, the chaos of people arriving five years later, Monica Rambeau finding out her mother passed away from cancer a couple of years ago yeah. while she was just sitting in the in the waiting room while thinking that her, mo- her mother's going to make a recovery. That was incredible. And then ultimately, it's what you just mentioned. It's the end of the episode when Wanda says, don't worry, I have everything under control. I was like, oh my God, where are we going with this character? Where are we going with this show? And then the show just ends right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it is that last scene. And honestly, the like, besides Wanda's emotion, the reveal of Vision's corpse was one of the best things they've done in, in so long. Yep. Not only that, but like, it starts to introduce that horror element of like what we're going to see in Multiverse of Madness, so I'm all in on that. That was my favorite scene by far. Out of a star rating of 5, 5 being the best show you've ever seen, 0 being the worst show you've ever seen, yep. what did you give this episode? So I believe I've already, I've only given uh, the highest score of 3 so far from mm-hmm. um, this season of WandaVision. This particular episode, episode 4, gets a 3.5. I think it was the best episode thus far, and um, I really enjoyed it. And if this is the trajectory that we're going on... And if we're going to start to get 3.5s and 4, 4.5s, maybe even a 5, 
in the next four or five episodes, I am all in on this. All these reveals made me give this a four. Okay. Because we're finally getting there. Yeah. Right? We're finally getting to where we've been hoping for. This past three episodes, it felt like we've been building up to something. This is it. We're finally there and it's escalating quickly. Yeah. So I know there's room where it's going to keep growing, keep getting better and better and better. But that was WandaVision episode four. Love that episode. And now we get to go into our news segment and we're going to be talking about all the major news items of the week. I'll leave timestamps, like I said, in the description for everything we do talk about because the first segment is a little different. Usually we go into individual news segments and the first thing I'm going to talk about is Ryan Reynolds revealed that Deadpool 3 was going to be a road trip movie with Deadpool and Wolverine. And first off, before I even get into the news segment, what did you think of that? What are your thoughts on it? Oh, who would have loved that? I mean, these guys are going back and forth, not just in the movies, Mm -hmm. but on social media. Mm -hmm. Like, that is some serious fan service. And and also, just leaning on, you know, their characters from the comic books and kind of the history there. It would make all the sense in the world. I I would love to see that. I would have loved to see, like, at least, like, one alternate dimension version of that (laughs) story. I think it just would have been so cool. And while we're on the subject, I think just because we are such film nerds, I think this would be a great time to discuss the biggest what-ifs and what-could-have-beens in Hollywood history. Like story changes, casting changes, anything that would have completely changed a massively famous movie. What's your first one? Alright, so my first one is Superman Lives was supposed to star Nicolas Cage. It was going to be directed by Tim Burton and its production was going to begin and was scheduled to begin in 1998 before being cancelled at the 11th hour. So think about it, Nicolas Cage is riding this mid to late 90s massive wave. He wins an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. He's in The Rock, he's in Face Off, he's in uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Wicker Man. Yeah, he's in all these incredible movies. This is when Nick Cage was like at the height of his powers. Con Air. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, he's a massive Superman fan. And the fact that it went from script to pre-production to, yo, we're starting to shoot this movie in a couple of weeks before the studio pulled it, blows my mind. So imagine a world where we have a movie we can watch right now where Nicolas Cage is playing Superman and it's through the lens of Tim Burton. I would have loved to have seen that movie, uh, not only because of those reasons you just mentioned there, but it's just a fresh take on Superman. Like everything we've gotten from the 80s version, which is very crisp and classic Superman, to what we got recently with Justice League, which was like a weird kind of take on it, in my opinion. Like, I didn't love that take on it. But this would have been a completely left-turn take that I think could have given Superman like a brand new set of legs. Right. Like a brand new world that nobody else can really create but Tim Burton. Yeah, and the thing is, is what the studio ended up doing is a few years later, they just went to a safe bet. They went to Brandon Routh. They went to Brian Singer. And they essentially just tried to create the same thing that we got, like a modern day version of a Christopher Reeve version of Superman, which is like, we've already seen that movie. Exactly, exactly. It seems like at this point, if you're going to create a a superhero that we've seen already, you got to twist it up a bit. Something's got to happen that's a little different. Uh, I'm going to go, my first one is going to be the best one. I'm just going to tell you right off the top. Go for it. All right, it's the best one. Uh, So everybody loves Anchorman, all right? I think it's one of the most heralded comedies of our generation. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. Yep, it's made with bits of real panther. So you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. The crazy thing, it was originally supposed to be newsmen versus apes. 
Alright. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was already nixed before it got to the green light process at the studio. But all these newsmen were basically flying over to some news convention. Right. And they were basically smoking so many cigarettes that the whole plane fills up with smoke and it crashes. Right. All right. At the same time, the plane was also transporting Chinese throwing stars and like martial arts weaponry. Right. And it basically crashes onto this island that's inhabited by apes. And it basically turns into a story of survival of newsmen. Versus apes. Oh my god. How amazing would that have been? That would have been hilarious, especially with the cost that was involved. That cast, I feel like I still want to see that movie. We've yeah. gotten Anchorman 1 and 2. This should be the trilogy. Like, this should be, like, they should go back to this because now they can actually create this thing with CG and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it would be the most fun movie in the world to see Will Ferrell do that. That's a funny thing. Like, we're never going to see a Superman with Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton. That ship has sailed. But yeah. what you just mentioned, what you just pitched, that could still happen right now. It still exists. It could still happen. Paul Rudd is more famous now than ever. Yeah. Steve Carell, more famous now than ever. Yeah. That movie can work. Um, what's your other one? All right. So you, you knew I was going to bring something to this segment without it being a reference to Terminator. So I've got something to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator. So going back to the early 90s, Arnold Schwarzenegger is writing or starting his wave. The big movie, Conan the, Conan the Barbarian, is a big hit for him. He's obviously got the documentary Pumping Iron. That was a big hit as well in the mm -hmm. late 70s. So he's starting to ride this wave and all of a sudden he gets his script, The Terminator. Well, Arnold Schwarzenegger was originally supposed to play Kyle Reese, the hero of the movie and not Michael Bean who ended up playing Kyle Reese. Yeah. James Cameron had to convince Arnold that the Terminator and playing the villain was the way to go. How about that one? So Arnold thought, I can't play the villain. I want to play the, his whole kind of ethos was I want to be the action hero of movies. Yeah. He had to be convinced to play the Terminator. What world are we living in right now <laughs> if Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't end up playing the Terminator? Does he even have a long-term career in the way that he actually does? And obviously, it's one of the most iconic characters of all time. I think in the 80s, Time magazine said that the movie, The Terminator, was one of the, the top 10 movies of the 80s. That movie doesn't, doesn't do what it does without Arnold as a Terminator. 100%. Like, especially with Arnold at the height of his powers, too. Like, that movie, it works because he's the Terminator. Yeah. Imagine somebody smaller or or anything kind of like fighting him as the villain like yeah. that would have been really weird to see as well just aesthetically yeah I don't know I, I the, the Terminator is easily one of the most iconic characters in yep. the history of movies like him Darth Vader like there's only a few of them that really stand out in that way 100% so that would have been really weird yeah uh, speaking of Darth Vader my next one was George Lucas's Star Wars sequel trilogy all right this was uh, back in the fall basically a book came out called the Star Wars archives from 1999 to 2005. Basically, it detailed Lucas's original plans, all right? And the biggest reveal in those plans was that they were going to bring back Darth Maul and turn him into the main antagonist of the entire trilogy. Wow. All right? First, Darth Maul was going to have, like, these mechanical legs, and he was going to basically become the godfather of crime in the universe, all right? Uh, in the comics, he had, like, this apprentice named Darth Talon, and that was going to be his apprentice, and she was going to be the new Darth Vader, essentially. And she was going to be running action, essentially. It was going to be so cool to see a female villain, like a Sith villain, in the Star Wars universe. I think that would have been amazing. And also, the book confirmed that they were going to turn Leia into the Chosen One. Wow. Right? Over the course of those three movies, just like the original Star Wars had turned Luke and like that was the focus of the trilogy. The sequel trilogy was going to be almost completely focused on Leia. And the movies were going to be all about how Leia was trying to rebuild the Republic. And Luke was trying to restart the Jedi. 
Damn. So, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, just from a concept perspective, that sounds fantastic. The only thing is, and we've spoken about this before, I think when it comes to Star Wars movies, we're so done with the Skywalker family and the mm-hmm. Skywalker saga. I'm probably more interested in where we could go with Darth Maul and a female Sith Lord. I love that aspect yeah. of it. And and who knows, I think with Disney Plus and you know the, the ownership of this property, where we could maybe even go in the Star Wars universe when it comes to time and space, who knows if something like this could even come, you know, become a reality down the road? Here's the twist, though. I didn't mention this. All right, so the one thing Lucas was planning on doing on top of it, because I love that story. I think it's so cool to, number one, bring back Darth Maul. I love the, you know, uh, underground king aspect of that. Right. I love the idea of a female villain that was going to be badass. And, uh, you know, Leia being a badass. And uh, I think even there's other variations where it was going to be about his kids, kind of like what we, or Han and Leia's kids that they, we ended up getting in the actual movies. But what he was going to do, and you know how George Lucas always needs to add one extra thing to make it weird. He basically was going to use it as an opportunity to kind of fix what he did with midichlorians in the prequels. Right. He was going to say that the world is basically controlled by these microbacterias called the wills. And we're basically just like these vehicles that are controlled by the wills, kind of like the will of the force. Right. And it, I can't imagine how people would have been pissed about that part. I think it's just like one of those things with like we've seen in a lot of Star Wars movies that Lucas kind of has control over lately where he ends up bringing his really cool idea and then adds just one thing to make it a little bit too complicated. Yeah. I feel like George Lucas in this day and age is almost like the Vince McMahon of the WWE mm. where you had your time and you obviously create this incredible franchise and universe and characters and 90% of everything that you contributed to the Star Wars universe is magic and perfect. But then you just go the extra step. You just keep pushing. And you keep pushing. And I think the best thing that could have ever happened to the Star Wars universe is to be taken out of George Lucas's hands and put in the hands of other filmmakers and, and other creators. Um, and I guess I'm kind of glad <laughs> that George Lucas doesn't have the final decision anymore on these things. I just think a guy like that... And it goes vice versa. Like, anybody, they just need a quality filter. Yeah. Right? Having somebody like John Favreau and Dave Filoni now, like, they seem like, even at some point, I'm sure they're going to overstay their welcome as well. Of course. But ha- just having somebody there as a quality filter is everything that you really need in a big franchise like that. But yeah, what's your next one? Okay, so my final one. Let's think back to 1999, right? The two big movies that had all... The hype going into that particular year was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace and a little-known movie called The Matrix, which ended up actually becoming the sci-fi blockbuster of the year. That was the movie that redefined special effects, not Star Wars Episode One. Well, check this out. We didn't find out until literally 2019 that none other than Will Smith was supposed to have played Neo and he turned down the role to instead be a part of Wild Wild West, which ended up becoming one of the most iconic flops in film history. In a YouTube post that Will Smith put out, and kudos to Will Smith, who's really embraced social media over the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. He put out a video just explaining what had happened. He says that he wasn't proud of that (laughs) decision, but then he goes on to say, I did you all a favor, right? So can you imagine that? Will Smith, again, think about this wave that he's riding from the mid nineties to the late nineties, bad boys. Um, Men in Black, Independence Day, um, you've got Enemy of the State. Like he's just writing hit after hit after hit after hit. Yep. If he then ends up finishing the 90s by being in the Matrix in 
the main character of Neo, which launches a franchise. Like, Will Smith was big as it was anyway. He would have been just another level big right now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Can, can you imagine that movie with Will Smith in it? I, I can't, actually. <laughs> I genuinely can't. Like, I don't think it fits. I actually love the fact that Keanu Reeves got that opportunity because he's, like, he's just such a good dude, and we know that now. Yeah. And, like, it's so nice that he has this franchise that he could basically go back to every once in a while. Yep. And it basically turned him into a household name, and Will Smith was already a household name. I don't think the franchise has its longevity. Yep. If Will Smith is in that role. Yeah, I think with Keanu Reeves, he's never had, I guess, sustained star power mm-hmm. over his career. He just had these ebbs and flows. Like, he was, like, on top of the world with speed yeah. back in, I think, 1994. And then nothing really major comes from that big, massive blockbuster hit until 1999, where he has The Matrix. Yeah. And then he rides that wave with the sequels up until, I say, maybe uh, the mid-2000s. And then again, he has this major dip until John Wick explodes out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think... you. I feel like a guy like that needs a franchise to kind of sit on, to have, like, you know, that cushion to be able to work on the projects that you want to work on. Yeah. But you got to have that franchise. And I don't think a guy like Will Smith really needed that at that time. And it wouldn't have benefited him or the franchise at that time. But yeah, so I do have one more. Go for it. The only thing I wanted to bring this up is because you're a resident James Cameron expert. Mm-hmm. I think this would be a lot of fun. Okay. So James Cameron in the 90s, I'm sure you know about this, was supposed to create his own version of Spider-Man. Yep. Long before Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man with Sam Raimi, it was supposed to be this adult-themed Spider-Man with sex scenes and violence. And the people that were supposed to be cast in that were either Edward Furlong as from The Terminator as Spider-Man or... Leonardo DiCaprio. Those were the two that were kind of speculated and there was even villain speculation of basically everybody from the Terminator. Uh, one even possibly being uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Doc Ock role, I believe. Which would have been was, perfect casting. Which would have been crazy. Yeah. But this was the 90s before any major studio really touched these superhero movies. Instead, he did Titanic, but it's still crazy to think of like the butterfly effect of what James Cameron would have done to superhero movies in general. I feel like this is one of the biggest what-ifs that would have existed. I just want your take on what would have happened if that would have existed. Well, number one, I think Edward Furlong wouldn't be in the state that he is these days. I think he's like in the process or has finally recovered from his alcohol and drug addiction. Mm. But if you think about where Edward Furlong was in the 90s, obviously major breakout role in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And then he, you know, we see him a few years later as a bit, bit more grown up, more of a teenage role in American History X. Yeah. If he then had latched onto a franchise like Spider-Man in the comfortable hands of a director and a filmmaker like James Cameron, maybe that sustains him. And, and, and you know, he's on a, on a better path than what he ended up going through over the last 20 years, which is essentially just uh, a recovering addict trying to survive in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two, the funny thing about James Cameron's attachment to the original Spider-Man movie is he actually wrote the treatment. He wrote the script. And one major aspect of his treatment and his script that they actually kept in the movie was James Cameron thought, okay, look, in the comic books, Peter Parker basically creates his his web shooting ability, the actual web that comes out of a mechanical, I guess, wristwatch type of uh, attachment. Mm-hmm. James Cameron said, how is anyone in the world going to believe that a teenager by himself was able to come up with this stronger than you know bulletproof kind of style um, you know web that all of the greatest scientists in the world couldn't come up with. Yeah. How is he going to explain that? So what he did, he said, 
that he's going to make come out naturally from his wrist, from his actual skin. That's something that they kept in the actual movie because that made a, lot, a hell of a lot of sense. And that's where the genius of James Cameron would come in to make sure that at that time, how do we update this character and explain things to make him as believable as possible? So yeah, I do remember this story. I do remember his attachment. Obviously things worked out in terms of him going on to create Titanic. But I would still love to see James Cameron get involved in uh, a superhero project. Something, right? Something. It feels like almost like a missed opportunity. It feels like that's what he's trying to create with Avatar. Yeah. But like, I just want to see him kind of take on some sort of superhero and yeah. take it to that next level. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with, with James Cameron, like, first of all, I mean, the fact, the fact that in the 90s, he was even considering touching an existing property that wasn't an, or, an original story. Like, if you think about his history, every single project pretty much is an, is an original from him. Yeah. Titanic, you're leaning on something that happened in the past. It's, it's a period uh, movie, but it's still an original story from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Terminator, original. Aliens is original. It's a, it's a sequel. Uh, the Abyss is original, right? Um, True Lies is his version of basically like a James Bond movie. That's original, mm-hmm. right? Avatar, completely original. So the fact that he was even thinking about doing something that was just leaning on existing IP and property like that is fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it would. that's almost like a missed opportunity and I do hope, actually, I don't expect it to ever happen. We still got four more Avatar movies to come out, but yeah, we'll uh, be waiting a minute. It'll be interesting to see if he ever does touch a brand new property or existing property like that. Yeah. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a like a chauffeur. You drive around important people. I guess I do. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. Well, aren't you mysterious? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so we have a few other news items. I'm gonna hit you with a few of them. First one, we got Edgar Wright, who says the script of Baby Driver 2 is done. I was a huge fan of Baby Driver 1. I think that was one of my favorite action movies maybe ever. Like sometimes I'll even throw it on while I'm doing deadlifts just to like kind of get a hype. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Love the soundtrack, love the movie. I don't know if they can re- replicate the first movie. That goes with most movies. It's so mm-hmm. hard for a sequel to top the first one. But if they want to give it a go, I'm all for it. Why not? I'm really excited for Edgar Wright. Like anytime he does something, I get excited because that dude is just, he's so out there it's so much fun whenever he does do anything i love scott pilgrim too uh next we got netflix is developing a film with all the wall street chaos we just saw recently caused by reddit basically with the skyrocketing stocks of gamestop and amc apparently it's going to star noah centineo from uh to all the boys i love before fame uh and also the writer is from zero dark 30 mark bowl and yeah, so if we have a legitimate star in there, we have a legitimate uh, writer that's going to write that script who has a great pedigree. How excited are you about that? Hype. I mean, I've been involved in this myself over the last week. I got I got involved with some of the, the plays that I got involved with in my stock portfolio. So I was very clued in and just seeing you know, the wave get ridden on social media, the impact that this had, it was literally the, it has been, even today, it's like the major news story over the last seven days. It's been phenomenal to see what's been going on with like Robin Hood, AMC, GMC, the stock market, and just like everybody at home, you know, twiddling their thumbs, don't have much to do with their time. And all of a sudden you're like a day trader now. And so, yeah, I am not surprised in the least that this is going to be turned into a movie. And I'm definitely not surprised that Netflix is going to be the first studio to actually turn this around mega, mega quickly. A part of me, like, I do love, like, that genre of, like, the big short, Wolf of Wall Street and all that kind of stuff. But I don't like seeing scripts that are just kind of turned around so quickly. Right. Because you never know how, like, it's going to kind of turn out. You don't, I don't want to see them kind of just try to create the fastest 
turnaround they can. I just want to see the best version of it. So well, I hope they do take their time with it. Well, here's the thing. Netflix is always going to try and jump on anything that's you know going viral and in the moment. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the ones to produce the best version of it. Mm-hmm. We could get something you know three or four or five years down the road from a different studio once time has settled to look back at this moment. Like all the other movies you talked about, a like big short yeah. wasn't moved until you know wasn't created until years after what happened um, back in 2003, 2004, whenever it was. 2008 was the, the actual the crash. short. But um, at the end of the day, like, what did we get that movie in 2018 or 17 something or something like that, right? that? So, like, they took a little bit of time. I want them to be able to sit with that project yeah. before we really... Like, we haven't even finished what the hell the story is yet. We're still living it. So let's just chill that out yeah. before we get to that point of finding a conclusion. Um, next, the big one and the last one I have is that Ryan Coogler, basically his new Disney deal includes quote-unquote, other select MCU shows. And just today, a tweet came out that confirmed that Ryan Coogler is developing a Wakanda Disney Plus series. Wakanda Sick. I feel like I'm hyped for that. Oh, anything Ryan Coogler does, I'm all, all, all on board for. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's the right move by Disney. If you're going to try and you know explore the Black Panther or Wakanda universe any further... What better person to give that project to than Ryan Coogler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely 100% agree. That universe, like that, just that setting, Wakanda is so rich with like all these characters. This is the wonderful thing about Disney Plus and MCU. It is this expanded universe. You know, we started with Thor and Captain America and Iron Man, and now we've got literally dozens of characters and dozens of cities and worlds and countries and characters to explore. And within the realm of a TV show on Disney Plus, you can explore them, you know, in, in a lot more detail than you can in, say, a two-hour movie. So I'm all for it. I love this. And it allows them to pick and choose which project they go the TV show route mm-hmm. and which project they want to you know, serve with a fully-fledged movie. I love that kind of stuff. Whatever direction they do, do end up going and whatever Disney and Marvel does, I feel like they've earned our trust. Yeah. Like, I feel like we are very comfortable with what they are eventually going to do because they just haven't taken an L with us. Mm-hmm. They, they, and, and even if they do take an L with anything down the road, it's, it's not going to be that bad. We can, we, like Disney can afford to take a couple of Ls with us. Not, they, not that they have already thus far with any project. Every single movie's been a hit in my book. Yeah. There's been no Ls. But if they do end up taking any Ls in Phase 4 or Phase 5, it's, it's okay. They, they, can, they, can, uh, they can experience that They right can now. take a few hits. Yeah. But even like just going back to Wakanda, I, I, I still kind of am holding out hope that they bring back Killmonger. I think Me too. I asked what I want to, yeah. Yeah, I feel like just like the Shuri thing is cool, and yeah. I think it'll be fun down the line. It just it's, They have a Young Avengers to work with. They have all these other kind of worlds that they can like kind of have Shuri kind of play. Yep before we get to her becoming a Black Panther. I still would love to see them bring back Killmonger somehow, him become a babyface, and be able to take that mantra. Yeah, and I think the way you could do that is in this kind of multiverse universe that we're working with, and maybe Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger eventually becomes a babyface Black Panther in an alternate reality and jumps into our world and he becomes this world's Black Panther. I'm all for that. I don't even need him to be a good guy in a different reality, even if he just has a redemption story in this one. Right. I'm cool with that because technically you can bring back uh, people from that soul, like soul universe, right? Like like all that kind of stuff. There's just, there's room to work with stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm really interested in that. 
But those are all the news stories for this week. Now let's get into Let's Get Wrecked, where we recommend a TV show or movie that you can watch. Jonathan, what is Sandu's pick? Okay, so for me, going back to the Superman Lives uh, movie with Nicolas Cage and Tim Burton that we never got, check this out. 2015's The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened?, is a documentary it's available on showtime in the us and for everywhere else around the world check your local listings but i believe you can get it on amazon prime video directed by a guy called john schnepp who actually passed away uh, a few years later in 2018 it's a documentary that's a behind the scenes look at the 1996 to 1998 pre-production of superman lives an intended reboot of the Superman film series based on the 1992 DC comic The Death of Superman that was cancelled only three weeks before filming was set to begin in April of 1998. And in the film, Schnepp interviews several people who were involved with the development of the project and features numerous conceptual artwork and designs intended for the visual look of Superman Lives, which does include Nicolas Cage in the Superman outfit. Now, as a side to that, I was lucky enough to watch this documentary at a comic convention in London prior to John Schnepp's death where there was a, a fan Q&A. So I've seen it, I got to speak to and ask a few questions to the director. I highly recommend, if you're just a film nerd and a film geek in general, which I guess you must be if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast, and yeah, and you haven't seen this documentary, go out of your way to watch it. It is fascinating. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm actually going to check that out because I never got a chance to. For Bras Pick, I recently put up one of the scenes from this show on our Twitter. And if you only follow us on IG, I got to say, our Twitter feed is awesome. We're always putting up scenes and trailers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I definitely think that's a worthwhile follow. But for me, it's True Detective Season 1. I just recently started re-watching it. And my God, how amazing is Matthew McConaughey, how amazing is Woody Harrelson. I think it's the best thing that they've ever done. And I think it's one of the best one-season arcs in television history. If like I haven't seen season two or three. I've heard mixed things. But personally, I love the idea that it's just a one-and-done. You finish these, what, nine or ten episodes, and then you're kind of done with the story. Yeah. It's one of my personal favorite TV watches. Highly recommend True Detective Season 1. But that's our show for the week. John, where can everybody find us? All right, we are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're obviously available on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, rate and review us. It really helps us get found and helps the algorithm push out this show on that particular platform. So if you can do that, that would be much appreciated. Awesome. Thanks for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.